Um, I give spe- I give started giving speeches around PNG uh, starting around ten years ago, telling my life story, and then sharing themes of uh, around humanity and and challenging our leaders around the world to be more supportive, more encouraging. Uh, to, to support people who are from the LGBT community. So I started inspiring people from the LGBTQ community around PNG and around the world to come out um, because they deserve to live full and holistic lives. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Shelly McNamara is the Chief Equality and Inclusion Officer and Executive Vice President of HR at a company that you might have heard of, Procter & Gamble. Uh, She began her career in sales and has spent uh, almost 30 years in HR. She has a ton of experience. She also has a a new book coming out that I'm excited to, to read and talk about. Uh, with you today here. Uh, It's called No Blanks, No Pauses, A Path to Loving Self and Others. Welcome to the show, Shelley. Thank you, Kyle. First off, uh, thank you very much for for joining us today. So uh, Procter & Gamble, obviously a a premier organization um, in our our world, uh, and especially more critical the way that 2020 and the beginning of 2021 have, have, uh, have become. So can we just start off? Can you just kind of tell us what is your story in HR? How did you get into the career you're in and, and uh, how did that lead you to where you are today? Yeah, so I, um, I attended the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, um, you know, when I went away to college, I selected a university that had a broad range of, um, you know, of areas for study because I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, which is not unusual for an 18 year old. And, um, and when things changed was, um, you know, I thought about going into education to become an educator. I thought about going sort of pure business that didn't feel right. Um, and then I took this organizational psychology class and, uh, the professor was outstanding. Um, but most importantly, I read about this field called organization development and it was defined sort of like, you know, uh, I think they use words or what I recall was. You know, it's a values-based approach to helping individuals, teams, and organizations transform. And I remember when I read it, I said out loud, that's what I want to do. Like, that's who I want to be. And I, in very, again, plain English, I was like, wow, this is all about really helping to diagnose an organization and then figure out what are the things that you can do to help make them more humane, you know, and effective. And, um, and that just sounded really cool to me. So, so that's where, that's where it started. So I, I switched my major. Um, again, I was probably on major number three at that point. And I switched in to, uh, to, to get a bachelor's degree in organizational behavior. Um, and so that's, you know, that's how my interest started. My work started, I actually um, then got some great advice from that same professor when I said, hey, how do I get into this field? I've read about this. I don't really know exactly what this means. And what he said at the time was, you know, the field of HR is developing and growing. And I think it has a little ways to go to to get to a place where this kind of work is more anchored in the center of it. He said, so um, go be a business person. 
and uh, and figure out what you you know sort of what skills you have and what you can do and contribute and and then stay true to this passion and and you'll find your way. So pretty vague you know vague advice and yet very pointed. So I did that. I started with Procter and Gamble in 1985 uh, in sales, and it was uh, four years later that I started a master's program at Case Western Reserve in OD organization development, and it's really the place in those two years where I gained insight and knowledge and some experience in helping people and organizations transform. So that was my formal entry uh, into the field of HR, which you know, Kyle, is a, is a broad field, uh, but that was right. my entry point and my passion point. Absolutely. You, you said that so well. It's, you know, HR is, it, it's so dependent upon the organization that you work for, what your job actually is. Um, and so, so I wanted to uh, touch on one of the comments that you made, and I thought, what a what a truthful statement that HR had a long way to go before the business really embraced, you know, OD and and IO psych and some of these, you know, what I call kind of like new school theories of, right. of business leadership. So, right. as you progress through your career, uh, what kind of changes have you seen? in the context of being an HR practitioner at your organization? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I'll, I'll talk sort of what was my personal journey in that and then the company journey, because they intersected. Um, I began to do HR work, but I stayed coded a salesperson. And what happened is mm -hmm. my interest and some of the skills I was developing, I was bringing insight. That's what I would say to you. I was bringing insight about change management and, and I, was in and working with a sales team that was beginning to um, transform from our our connection to customers as singular salespeople to more multifunctional teams. So the first change effort and first piece of HR work that I began doing at P&G was in helping those teams that were now adding resources to the teams. We were adding people who understood supply chain. We were adding finance people who brought more of that discipline and more, more depth. And so my first really HR work was, was being one of the people at P&G who started to define um, the capability work and start to do some of the capability work that helped us transform. And we had to make structural changes, right, to those teams as they interfaced with customers in a more multifunctional way. And um, we also had to make some culture changes, you know, getting people to work. Um, so structure, strategy, and culture, we had to develop more holistic strategies for customers that went beyond selling cases. And, um, and so that was, you know, that was my, you know, sort of my first, uh, I'd call it substantive HR work that, um, that was there. And then I wasn't the only one doing that, right? So I was one of the people that had gained some experiences in this sort of change management business partner context. And so you know, what started happening is across the corporation, I started seeing other people who were getting that same insight or capability. And we were making a difference for the business and for the organization. And people started seeing that and noticing that. Um, and, and, and then, you know, over time, and it was a number of years, but, you know, we began transforming HR. And I remember one of the, the pieces of work that happened was Let's define HR 2005. You know, then it was HR 2015, and and there were just a series of of redefinitions of who we were as a discipline and what we could bring. 
And that transformation wasn't about eliminating the things that are incredibly important about HR, have been and always will be, right? Like, you know, quality and discipline and things like compensation, right? Quality and discipline and things like employee relations, um, et cetera. You and I could go on giving the list. Mm-hmm. This became an extension and an and, which was, and that's what I got to be a part of at P&G. I was, I was one of the people who helped over a 10-year period bring in some of the transformation skills. And we started not only applying those and making a difference for the business, but we began to document those and use those as a way to redefine, uh, or I would say more evolve what HR brought um, to the table for the business. Absolutely. Gosh, I bet that was fun. It was that sounds fun. fun. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, you know, learning is, is always fun. And, and, you know, when you're in that phase of creating something new, you get the chance to test some things and learn and say, oh, that didn't work so well. And, um, and then some other things that, um, you know, that, that did work well. Um, one of my most fun, uh, and this will sound odd to use the word fun, I may, I may rephrase that, one of my most rewarding experiences applying HR technology um, was uh, when I had the opportunity to, to work a, um, a shutdown of one of our, uh, of one of our sites. Mm-hmm. And it was, I would say what I would call a, um, you know, a culminating and integrating a, a integrative experience. I had the chance to connect many things I had learned in HR all together and then apply those to help benefit the P&G business and the P&G people. Um, so again, it was a shutdown of about 800, a site of about 800 people. And I was able to frame a strategy that was about that drove the shutdown, which was around, we want to provide employees time, options, and support as we go through this transition. And then the action steps had all the aspects of HR in it, right? So there was a strategic context for it or intentionality. And it was, again, my OD background, which was values-based. It was about humanity and how we treat people. And it was also about, you know, we, we do need to drive changes that benefit, you know, the financial and the well-being of the corporation, right? So I had the mm-hmm. benefit of working with this incredible HR team and line leadership team to structure that transition effort and that change effort. Um, and it was just, it was really cool. And again, we had to know and do things in compensation. We had to know and do things in employee relations uh, and managing what was a very complex employee relations environment for a few years. Um, and we had the, the opportunity to put in place some things that helped make that change happen in a human way um, and in one that, you know, that that also drove the changes the business needed. Um, so that's just one example that, um, you know, that I had to, to do a piece of work with colleagues uh, where we, we leveraged the, the new insights of really the holistic portfolio of, of HR work and uh, skills. Absolutely. And I think uh, you, you articulated your point so well, but, you know, the key word is, is in a human way, right. And yes. respectful and, um, I mean, nobody likes facility closures or or any sort of you know highly impactful business decisions that may be necessary for business continuity. But you know how we treat those people who are impacted that says a whole lot about our company. It really does. Um, and you know we have a set of core at, at P&G we call it our purpose, values, and principles. And that just sounds like a slogan when I say it that way, but it's actually really core <laughs> to what it, it, we do live by it. And when we don't, we we course correct. And respect for all is important. So I threw out those three words, but I want to give you know your listeners an example. So we said time was important, 
And so one of the things I worked with the senior executives of P&G is to get approval to have an extended timeline that we were shutting down a site and we were moving uh, the work, not necessarily employees, but the work to three different sites. And so I got the company's approval to call it a lift and move. And what I said is we're lifting this work and we're moving it. And we're going to give all of our employees the option to go with that work, right? And it was, we needed to provide them time. We needed to provide them some options. Because what I know about human beings is that when we have the ability to make choice, we feel more whole and we feel better, right? And we feel more in control. And so even those sites that, um, you know, uh, that it was less likely that people would go to, what I built into the financials with our finance leader was to give people the option to go visit that site. So some of our administrative and technical resources, you know, maybe the ones because they were sourced locally. Okay, our manager talent is sourced nationally. They may be less likely to move right location because they were sourced from a local talent pool, and and we just that's just what we find. But we we gave everybody the option to go visit the the work that was moving to Cincinnati, as an example. We said you can go visit Cincinnati, and we scheduled you know, trips that people could take in groups to go visit, to see the, you know, to check into the school system, to see if that's a place they would want to move. So again, we, we had an extended timeline as much as we could, and then we gave people options. And then the last thing is support. You know, we did things in the site that had never been done before. You know, we had, um, you know, a massage therapist come in and give, you know, neck massage, right, on, you know, on Fridays for, you know, for a while. Um, we had, you know, job fairs, the, the low, the, the P&G locations that were within, you know, call it a hundred miles of that site. We brought them in for sort of a career day to let people know what might be at those locations. So even though we weren't moving that business there, but that may become an option for them. So I just do believe, I believe in the end, it's one of my key philosophies. Um, and I, I just applied it in two ways. I believe in the core work that's always made HR great and is necessary. And we need to keep evolving. And I believe in driving business success and we can do that in a human way and in a respectful way and giving humans space and choice uh, is always a good thing and respect. And you said the word, Kyle, a couple of times there. It's uh, respect is always important. Hey, man, I'm taking notes here. I'm, I'm going to absolutely. I love that. Uh, it's an and that's uh, yeah, very well said. Uh, so I'm I'm curious, uh, and maybe you can help settle a debate that I, I I tend to have with with HR professionals. So you mentioned that the advice you got and the and the um, role that you walked into initially was not an HR role; it was a, a sales role, or you know, right. a, a role specifically supporting uh, the business. My my experience was similar. I started in a role that was not HR. Um, and I, you know, I say HR found me, <laughs> right. um, my opinion is that is actually critical to be a good HR professional is because you have to understand the business and the best way to understand it is to do the job. Yeah. Um, and, and I get into, you know, some back and forth with HR professionals. W what's your perspective on, on the path into HR? What, what would you recommend for somebody looking well, to get into their career? You know, I just told you the word and is one of my favorites. So I think there's multiple paths in. I work with outstanding HR professionals who came in through a range of paths. And I, I do believe that. I do believe that the work of transformation, um, which is one that I knew I wanted to get into. So I did speak with a professor in organizational psychology and I said, I want to do this work called 
that's anchored in the field of OD that's about helping people transform. And his advice was go work and be in a business role because he said you need to know and understand the business, just as you said it, Kyle. So I, I do think it's invaluable to understand the business and um, any chance you can get to have a role or have experiences that give you that will make you a better HR professional, no matter what you're doing, where you are, or how you're doing it. So I firmly believe that because there is the core work of the organization and the core work of P&G, we're a consumer goods company. So the core work is about selling cases, right, of product that end up in, you know, in store shelves or through other channels and end up in consumers' hands. So I do believe that. I just think it's essential learning. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's the only way, but I would say for me, it benefited me tremendously. And here's a couple of the practical things that I got from it. One is credibility because I knew the language of business. So I was able to engage with people and say, yeah, I understand. When you're talking about the cases getting into the warehouse, this is what happens. Yeah, and then they have to get on the floor. And here, right? So I was able to have those type of discussions that weren't theoretical to me, but they were real because I spent my first five years doing things like calling on, you know, large independent retailers. And in some instances, in my first few years, I would help build cases of, uh, I mean, build displays of Jif peanut butter just to sell more, right? Because right. You know, <laughs> the, the, the stock boy hadn't gotten it out on the floor and I'd be like, let's get this stuff out there, you know? So I do think it's invaluable. Um, I think it's important. There are, um, anytime you have the opportunity, I, I advise all of the HR professionals that I, that I mentor, if you have a chance to do a line role, um, you ought to take that opportunity. Um, I want to acknowledge one other group of people though, that I, so I'm not misheard because you have a lot of different listeners. Um, the you know there are mastery areas right so HR is made up of of people who know and understand mastery areas right so I work with colleagues who have been in and will remain their careers in the compensation and benefits space maybe even mm -hmm. just maybe compensation or maybe just benefits they're invaluable to me and to the corporation right they over time know that work they over time know the the transformations that have happened um, and the depth that that I that I wouldn't have. And there are generalists, right? You know, I, I and I also think there's a both and over time I built a generalist skill set. Um, and I'm gonna credit a different person who said to me, um, you know, because I started out doing OE type roles, so OD or OE roles. Um, and one of the things she said to me was, You have great leadership skills. Um, and unless you're gonna go be a consultant at one of the consulting firms, you're gonna have to build a generalist skill set because that's who's going to get the majority of the leadership roles, especially in a corporation like this. So I made the choice. This is the second choice. So I made the one choice, which is to do a line role. I made a second really important choice in my career, which is to build a generalist skill set. And I, I will tell you, my, my career has gone a bit full circle because what that meant was that I was the business partner for many business leaders at many different levels in P&G, helping them transform their organization but also making sure that their senior executives understood our compensation principles and why we did the things that we did. I was also making sure we followed our employee relations guidelines. And now at the end of my career, like I'm, you know, I'm as the chief of quality officer, I've gone back to being a master again, and I'm in a, I'm in an area that requires mastery and depth, but the generalist skill set that I developed is one of the best enablers of this as well, because I'm able to engage with people on topics that come from experience. And that's important. Absolutely. I, 
My favorite job in HR was the HR generalist role I had in a manufacturing facility. Yes. It, it, it was trial by fire, but you figured out real quick if HR was for you. <laughs> true. It's very true. It's very yeah. true. You know, and, so, and some days you just, you know, you can't write that down and you certainly aren't going to find some of the experiences in a textbook. That's for sure. <laughs> right. And people know the difference when you're speaking from theory or when you're speaking from experience. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And your ability to influence anybody and everyone. And at the end of the day, as an HR professional, you have to be able to influence people, um, business leaders, colleagues to do things. Um, and, and to the extent you have experience uh, behind it, you'll you're more credible and more capable. Absolutely. So um, maybe fast forwarding a little bit. So I and thank you so much for for helping our listeners understand your career path. I'm sure there's a number of them that you know, aspire to be in a role similar to your, your current role today. So I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your role as Chief Equality and Inclusion Officer. Um, obviously, 2020 um, and well before 2020, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion has been a, a, a focus, but it's also uh, really received a, a really heavy emphasis in 2020. And, and um, so I think one of the one of the challenges that um, that we face as HR professionals is, you know, that's one of those areas that that many generalists have to focus on, but maybe they don't have the mastery um, or the or the subject matter expertise to to do um, the the job that their teams need them to do. So, um, where did you get your mastery for for DE and I and and ultimately? Um, you know, how, how have you been focusing on driving that initiative at, at P&G? So one of the things about P&G is that um, diversity, equality, and inclusion have been a core part of our strategy for many years. Um, and that's very different than saying there's a program. Um, it's a core part of our strategy. So um, it's one of the reasons that I've been able to build depth over the many years because the work and the importance of that work has been around in our corporation for so, so many years. So, you know, a, a bit about P&G, you know, we we serve, um, you know, billions of consumers around the world. We have about 90,000 employees in 70 to 80 different countries. Um, and so being able to both reflect or being able to serve those consumers means it's really important for us to reflect those consumers in our employee base. Right. So it's right. part of how we do business. Um, it's not a nice to do. Um, it's not a separate social cause or other. It's a it's a core part of the work that we believe in deeply. So it, it really is. So when I say, how did I get so, you know, uh, how did I build the skill set? The first thing I say is I work for a corporation who has had it built into the core of our strategy for a very long time. And we we have a very clear and public de- declaration that we seek to create a company really and a world where equality and inclusion is achievable for all. And that internally for us, as well as out in the world, but internally that respect and inclusion are cornerstones of our culture. And so we work towards that. There's a business reason, right? And there's a human reason, which is a theme, Kyle, that you and I have been talking today a lot, right? Right. Um, We actually believe that um, when, you know, you know, when human beings, you know, all human beings can have access and opportunity, it's better for communities, it's better for companies, it's better for countries, right? Limiting people or groups of people, their access or their opportunity is not a good business decision. 
And so we're, you know, we're, we believe in that, you know, very, very deeply. Um, so on that, I've had the privilege of working side by side with line leaders, right? Women and men who own our P&L and who have been working to say, how do we activate this commitment um, through things like our brands? And so, you know, you may have seen some of the, some of the things that we've done to use our voice out in the world. Um, we have, uh, you'll see it through some of our brands. So you'll see, um, you know, gosh, I don't know how long ago it was, whether it was two years ago or a year and a half or, but, you know, in the recent past, you start to see men as parents, right? In our, uh, in our Pampers commercials, right? Historically, you'd only see women changing diapers, women holding babies, right? Um, and so one of the things that, that you, that's just an example of where we're starting to say, wait a second, if we really are about equality, one of the things we need to do is start showing the full range of, of humanity and representing and normalizing um, you know, for all human beings um, and not stereotyping, right? And not um, putting people into boxes. So, so that's, so that's what I would say to you. That's the reason that, that I've had the benefit of, of working at a corporation that has made it a part of our strategy. And so, and then it gets translated into doing work in the employee space, in the brand space. Uh, we work with partners um, in this space to drive systemic change. And we also do work in communities um, where we invest uh, you know, time, money, and resources to help uh, drive uh, and build more more equality. So I've benefited from that. Um, you know, certainly I've also sought out um, every opportunity. I, I made the choice. I think making a choice is really important. And for HR professionals listening to this, you have to decide what's going to be your point of difference. Which areas of HR are important to you that you want to learn about, that you want to be known for? And I made the choice to learn and to do and to make an impact in this space of diversity, equality, inclusion a long time ago. And then I, I, what I would did to activate that was I looked for courses or experiences inside PNG and outside. And I, I went near and by those people that I saw role modeling wisdom in this space as much as I could. You know, I just like, Hey, can I learn from you? Hey, can I come into your office and talk to you? I saw you leading this, you know, conversation. Can you tell me more about it? So I think making a choice about what you want to learn and if this is a choice area for you. Um, one last plug here I want to give Kyle on that, which is I think as an HR professional, I don't I think that we all need to make the choice to do work in this space because this is about humanity. Um, and one of my personal beliefs is that, you know, I want human beings to experience and express the fullness of their humanity. And when they do that, they're happier. The business grows, um, you know, and companies and cultures do. So I think no matter who you are listening to this call, I think learning more about what to do and how to do it in this space is critical. I love that. I love that. And what, and what a great example of an and, right? You know, this is this is all this is a business strategy, and it's human. It's 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 driving humanity into yeah. the world that we work in, which most of us spend most of our waking hours. So let's, let's make this a comfortable and inclusive and a good experience for, for us and for everybody else we work with. Right. Yes. And figure out what can we do in the environment that gives people the space and the support to bring their gifts. Right. Again, it's, um, you know, we want to not only reflect at PNG the, the, um, our, the diversity of our consumer base, but we also believe that we innovate better when we have different eyes and lenses on a problem, right? 100%. We come to better solutions when there's 
you know, a different way to think about things, uh, which is brought by a broader range of humanity, not a more narrow range. Um, and there's lots of social science and social research that, you know, unequivocally shares that perspective. So we believe that deeply. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> uh, I just think I just reflect on an experience when I was talking to somebody in a in a, a former position, and they were talking about how innovation was a strength, and I, I took a look around the room and. Everybody had graduated from the same college, looked exactly the same, was about the same age. And I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't belabor the point, but I just, I right. just asked it. Yeah. Like, really? Right. <laughs> I mean, it shaped our lenses on the world, right? And our Absolutely. beliefs and our biases, right? And, and, um, and the only way we get checked on those and the only way we get, you know, I, I don't learn a lot from people who view and think of the world exactly as I do. Um, all they do is validate my opinion and perspective. I learn and grow from people who, who open my eyes to something that I'm not seeing or believing. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's, that's the fun stuff. Yeah. That's one of the favorite things about my job is I get that. I get that in my job. It's rewarding for me. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Growth. It's important. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you made a you made a comment and and um, about you know getting your voice out in the world. So, uh, I'd like to to talk a little bit more about your voice uh, being out in the world and 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 the book that you wrote, No Blanks, No Pauses: A Path to Loving Self and Others. So, um, you know, writing a book that's a that's a big undertaking uh, for me. <laughs> daunting. <laughs> so yes. what, what prompted you to, to put your voice out there and what, what uh, led to the book? Um, so yes, the book, uh, No Blanks, No Pauses, uh, will be published. Uh, uh, it's published in, in early February. Um, and I'm excited about it. You know, I, I have been writing my whole life, Kyle. Um, I had a journal when I was a young child and I would write some of my fears or worries or joys or hopes and that evolved over the years. It began in a big way. So the book is memoir, where I share personal story about my journey. Some of those have, it's, it's very personal, but there's also some business in there. So I do weave in where personal and organizational have come together. And I share different events and stories, the things that happened to me, and what was the insight that I drew from that experience. So my intent is to help others on their journey, right? this journey of being human is, it's not always easy, right? There's bumps in the road. Um, and, and I share the stories about what I've done to be fully me um, and to kind of heal from those things, those wounds and bumps along the road. Um, my writing began as a way to process pain. So he said, why did you write a book, Shelley? I said, well, I actually started writing when I was 16 years old of a family friend, a dear family friend um, died in a tragic accident. Um, my sister's best friend, her name was Marianne. Sorry. And, and while I, you know, that happened when I was 16 and I was really incapable of processing those feelings. And so I started writing and I wrote my first poem and today I've written over 200 poems and, and the, these poems, um, you know, are sort of anchors in the book. They really magnify messages. And, uh, and so that's what you find throughout the book, our stories. Um, my life story has some unique aspects to it. I'm the youngest of 15 siblings, and that's a that's a real number, one five. Um, <laughs> and I was born on the west side of Cleveland in the in the first suburb, which is called Lakewood, Ohio. And and I share the story of 
um, that, you know, one of the things I realized along my journey um, was that I was gay. And so I, I uh, and today I, uh, my wife and I have three daughters. Our oldest daughter is 23. And then we have twins that are 20. And so a number of the stories in the book really share my struggles and joys at living an authentic and full life. And I have led a very full life uh, and, a, and, and one, though, that has had some of the challenges. So I share those stories so that others can build compassion, um, particularly and empathy, but particularly for people who have been treated as less than. And, um, and I, I, I think that you can't deny that, that the beliefs that we inherit from the environment around us, whether it's through media, whether it's through our cultures, our backgrounds, we have all learned things. And I call them, you know, sort of untruths about each other. And they're not always overt in our um, in our mind. But the, some of the biases and beliefs we've inherited result in us treating other people as less than. And so I share some of my stories of being treated as less than. I also share some of the stories of incredible joy and love um, along that journey. And so that's that's the book. It's a um, it's a. Uh, one that has been written over many, many years. And I, uh, when our twins left for college in 2018, I finally said out loud, I'm going to put this all on paper and, um, and publish it. And so I'm just really uh, excited that, uh, that that moment has come. Yeah. What a, what a, what a powerful story. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, make the comment being the youngest of 15, <laughs> was that really your first HR job? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you stole my opening line when I speak to HR professionals. Is I, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> that was the beginning of my HR experience because, right, you talk about a, a range of humanity that I had the privilege. I say I, I got to, to watch my brothers and sisters and, you know, the decisions they made and how they, you know, walk, wandered through life. And I watched and I paid attention and um, I captured some of those uh, those insights, but I also had many different paths to choose from and people to, to observe. Um, so absolutely. It was, uh, it was not only watching the, the fullness of humanity, but just the way my mother was a single mother in the time I was four, the way she managed our household, right? So system, wow, thinking, yeah. right. How do you, how do you keep that system going and not blowing up when you are a single mother who works 40 hours a week? And that was uh, some great learning too, on sort of systems work and change management and work process, <laughs> all of it. I can't even, I, I can't even get my head wrapped around how someone would do that. I, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to deal with three yes. with a partner. Yes. I, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know where I would start. Kudos to your mother. <laughs> yes. She's a wonderful lady. Yes. She, she was. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So, so obviously, um, you know, you, you come from a point of quote, you know, difference, um, you know, and we're all a little bit different, but, um, one of the things that, one of the comments that you made, um, in, uh, in one of the interviews that I was reading was that, you know, being gay wasn't part of your plan. Right. Um, and that was really, that was a poignant line for me to read. And, and honestly, I got a little bit emotional when I did, because I reflected on, um, when my brother, uh, came out as gay uh, mm. a few years ago, and the um, 
the comment from you know some of my family members was boy that's a really that's a really hard life or you know it, it, it had that you know that that same kind of tone that well this wasn't what we would plan for you know and and i i felt like that you know that was borderline i mean in my opinion offensive um and uh, so so but there's so many things that aren't a part of our plan right right i mean i didn't plan most of my life right right <laughs> um isn't that so yeah, so so kudos to you for 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 being you know just just being authentic and and living uh, your life in an authentic way. So as as you were were coming to grips with that and and getting into your career, how did you reflect that authenticity in the work that you were doing as well as your personal life? You know, I you picked up on a phrase that um, you know that from uh, from my book, right? I talk about the fact that. Um, being gay wasn't a part of my plan. And, and the, the other part of that story or the context is that I spent years and years and years pursuing an external um, representation of, of perfection. So one of the ways that I was going through the world uh, as the youngest of 15 kids who had a strong, you know, we came from a very difficult economic background was I pursued academic excellence with a level of intensity uh, that that was great. That's what I'll say. And so mm -hmm. when I realized the part of my identity that I was gay, because the external images and narrative around me, and this would have been in the you know uh, the nineties, um, right, uh, and the eighties, the eighties and nineties, was they were horrible things that were said on a regular basis through media through human beings, through religion, about people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. So the community that I'm a part of, they were horrible things. So I had internalized the shame from the environment around me. And so when I realized this part of my identity, um, I did struggle. And I didn't struggle because there's something wrong with it. I struggled because the world around me, um, I believe, had uh, convinced me right, that there was something. So I did struggle for a number of years. The beautiful part is as I got through that struggle and I got to the other side of it, and I say that struggle, it was, you know, falling in love with my partner who is my partner of 37 years, but we've been married since 2014. We have three grown daughters. You know, there's a whole life journey there, right? That's a whole other time, Kyle, that we can talk. But what I can tell you is that I did build a deeper sense of the importance of authenticity, speaking my truth, living my truth giving other people the ability to do that. And it actually is a core part of my equity in my professional life is being very authentic. And, uh, and what you find for all of us is there are things that hold all of us back from being and living an authentic life. But I made a choice, which is that I was not going to let shame become a part of my character. I was not gonna let shame become a part of what our children learned from me or us. And I was not going to let shame overtake the importance of authenticity. Um, and so that was the choice I made. And, and I would say P&G has benefited from it. I've had a number of P&G executives say to me, I so appreciate your transparency, your honesty, your authenticity. Um, and through the story or through, you know, referencing back the book, No Blanks, No Pauses, um, I, give spe I give, started giving speeches around P&G uh, starting around 10 years ago, telling my life story and then sharing 
themes of, uh, around humanity and, and challenging our leaders around the world to be more supportive, more encouraging, uh, to, to support people who are from the LGBT community. So I started inspiring people from the LGBTQ community around PNG and around the world to come out um, because they deserve to live full and holistic lives, you know, without shame or without judgment. And, uh, and so my personal life and my professional life have intersected in the last few years. Uh, and you'll see in the, you know, in the book is just one example, but I've been giving speeches around PNG using my personal writing that draws out really important themes of humanity. Um, and, and the things that, you know, what I like to say is we, ha- we do things as human beings, unfortunately, that create distance and divide between each other. Um, and so I offer different ways to look at things and different ways to interact um, so that we can eliminate some of that distance and divide and come to, together to, to, to listen to each other, to hear each other, to respect, and ultimately support people for who they are. And you can tell I'm really passionate about it, right? I, <laughs> it's a- I love. It. I'm just soaking it in. I just it's 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 such an important message and such important work. Um, and and so you know, thank you for for using your platform to to help others feel feel safe, yeah, uh, and included in 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 their experience at work. I mean, I think that's if we do anything as HR professionals. We owe that to our employees. We do. 100%. We do. Everyone deserves to feel valued and respected for who they are. Not who we want them to be, but for who they are. Absolutely. The other, the other thing that I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here reflecting on this and in, in, in your story, uh, I'm, very, I'm encouraged at the progress that we've made since the 80s and yes. 90s and yes. 2000s. And I... You know, I'm I'm ashamed to admit it, but I re- I remember back in the I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Back then, gay was a it was a slur that people used to describe things. Yes. In an inappropriate way, and at that time, it was funny. Yeah. And that's not funny. <laughs> and right. and and we should all be ashamed that that was part of anybody's vernacular. But um, you know, it it was being open to learning and listening. And and being empathetic to others that that helps us figure out oh we should stop using that language yeah we you know we need to change and and you know that is for me that is the work right and that and and being open to that and and aware of our ignorance right from my standpoint that's that that's the other piece that we have to be aware of that and hyper aware of that in HR absolutely and you know for me I, I want um, young people to, I want them to have hope and a vision that they too can have a whole life, right? So people who identify in the LGBTQ community, I want them to be able to read my story, hear parts of it and say, wow, if she can do that, I can too, right? Positive, like stories about people in the, in the community, um, and people that represent, right? Living the life, you know, I have lived and I continue to live the life that I want to live and the life that I was meant to live. And I believe that deeply. Um, And when you know the facts around teen suicide and when you know that there are teenagers every day who are making a choice about whether they continue, um, you know, to live or not, um, it's even higher for for uh, teenagers who are um, not getting the support that they need around them or they're hearing 
the narrative, which is not helpful or supportive of them. Um, and so it's a really it's a really big deal that we um, we come to understand that I didn't choose to be uh, a lesbian. I it's a part of who I am, and and uh, and so I have come to not only you know accept, but I fully embrace who I am. Some of my best learning has come by this aspect of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm grateful for it. I, uh, you know, I'm, I am not, I haven't been successful in my career in spite of being a lesbian. I have been successful in my career, um, partly because of that aspect of me, because it's given me some deep learning and insight that I wouldn't otherwise have had. So powerful. And, and when you, when you are authentic, don't you feel like that, that eliminates the barriers that were in your way that lets you be better, lets you be you. It does. It it really, really does. Um, can I can I read you a poem from my book? Are you okay with that? You just please, please. That'd be great. I, um, uh, it's titled uh, "Level Set," and I've used this one at in my professional work for years. We are taught to see things and people as better than and less than. Why not different than? We have this need to level up and down. I win, you lose. You win, I lose. One up, one down, always. Why not level set? Grant you space to be you, and I get to be me. We no longer need to make one better than, to make one less than. What will it take to level set? To see each other as different, but equally magnificent. Create space where everyone can shine. So that's my encouragement, uh, you know, as we close out here um, in the final few minutes here, Kyle. I, I think that level setting is an important concept. It's the concept of you get to be you and I get to be me. And we no longer have the need to level one up to, to move one down. We actually have space for all of us to feel supported, encouraged um, and respected. And, uh, and so I do think it's time to level set the, uh, the things that we're doing um, and that we do daily that create division and divide are, are not helpful um, for us as humans or the world around us. Wow. That powerful, powerful uh, statement and advice that I think we all need uh, right now. So uh, I'm going to leave it right there. I, I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate the time, Shelley. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you've done within your organization and the work that you're doing to communicate your truth outside your organization. Uh, We are all better for it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And to all those HR professionals out there, it's a wonderful profession. So keep going. All right. Thank you again, Shelly. Thanks, Kyle. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we No animals will hunt during the this podcast. Baby.